All right, we'll read from several different verses uh, here this evening to start off with. Well, just three. Look at John chapter 8 with me, please. John chapter 8, we're going to start there. John chapter 8, I'm going to read one verse there, and then I'll I'll turn quickly to two others once I finish John chapter 8. John chapter 8, in verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have light of life. I'm also going to read now from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 and verse 4. It says this, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And I'm also going to read from Matthew chapter 5 and just one verse right here. Verse 14, Ye are the light of the world. A city, that is set on, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Verse 16, I will read that too. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we do love you. We thank you for your word. We ask your blessing now upon this time. Lord, I pray you control what I say and how I say it. Help me to stay true to your word. I pray your spirit would have free course to speak to our hearts and challenge us and change us, Lord. And, and uh, Lord, conform us more to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would do the work and that this time would not be in vain. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, Lord, I pray for that conviction and that drawing that perhaps even this evening they would repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. So, let me ask you a question. What happens if we, if God's people, we here, let's just concentrate on our church at the Independent Baptist Church of Angers, if we forget that each one of us are in fact missionaries? If we, if we just say, you know what, I am done with my responsibility to the gospel, I will no longer even attempt to present it. Now, sadly, that's true of many anyhow. But what happens when that ends? What happens if we decide, you know what, we're not even going to give to world missions anymore. We're, we're, we're just going to stop faith promise. We've we, we got other stuff going on. I remember when I was on debutation. I was sitting in my, uh, in my office actually over at, uh, I, was, I was making a bunch of phone calls to set meetings. And I was calling the Alaska churches. So it was the summer of 2001. At that time, I called the church that was fairly well-known within independent Baptist churches in the state. I called them up. I'd met the pastor one or two times uh, during my six, seven years at that time in the state, six years in the state, and let them know, hey, I'm going to New Guinea. I think he said, yeah, I heard that. And I said, just wonder if I can come and present my work there. And he had said, he said, brother, actually, uh, my kid, he said, we have suspended our missions program. He said, we're into a pretty good building program right now. We have suspended that, and so we're not, we're not having any missionaries in right now. I knew right then when I hung up the phone, that church is in a lot of trouble. The church isn't even going right now. 
by the way. It's done. It's done. But what happens, you see, those verses we just read, we know this, that Christ is the light. It is, it is the light of the glorious gospel that comes and dispels darkness. Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that ever preached, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where he, he stresses that it's us. We are the light of the world then. Right now, that's our responsibility. So what happens when we no longer sin light? What happens if we decide, you know what, I'm not going to worry about being a missionary. I'm not going to worry about my responsibility to preach the gospel. I'm not even going to worry about missions anymore. What happens? What happens in places where the light that was there is removed? What happens in the places that the light has never reached? Make no mistake, we see this throughout all of world history. Christianity not only benefits the saved, but in every culture it benefited, it benefited the entire society. America has reaped because of the benefits of a Christian culture. You know the story of David Livingston. If, if you've read his biography, it's been years since I read it. I was probably 21 years old the last time I read his biography. But one thing that makes you laugh when you read it, when they were trying to locate him, it wasn't like they had GPS and cell phones and all that stuff, to find out this guy who was going through Africa, a continent. You know how they found him? Going through places and I noticed villages completely changed by the gospel because light had come in. Oh, he's been here. Let's move on. Until they finally caught up with the guy. But what happens when there is no light? What is the cost on a culture when there is no light present? I want you to see today the horrible price that is paid when there is no light. And we're witnessing it in our culture right now. First off, when there is no light, then there is no direction. Light gives direction. Light, light is, is uh, it shows you the best path to take. Uh, again, I remember one of the evenings I was in a village of Willow in New Guinea. And that was several hours south. So I went to Willow. I'd have to stay there for several days preaching. And so we were in the village. And they forget, they know where they're going at night. I don't. And during the special meetings, I would preach at night, so you shut the generator off. There's no light now. I'd carry a portable generator with me to produce the light. And so they want me to follow them. Well, this is, I am tripping over everything. I can see absolutely nothing. Now, if you give me a light, you know what? I can see where I'm going. I have direction. Light provides direction. If there is no gospel in a culture or that gospel is being dimmed out, listen to me, that culture has no direction. The culture will be unable to determine what is right and what is wrong. Because now, that decision is simply left up to the people alone, and man's heart is desperately wicked. The gospel started coming into, the, obviously, the country that I'm most familiar with would be Papua New Guinea. 19th century, primarily the 20th century. Up until mid-20th century, a social norm in the country 
was cannibalism. Why? There was no light. There was no direction as to what was right or wrong. Within that nation, coming well into the 20th century, whenever there was a serious sickness, a plague, or problems, or drought, they would sacrifice the child, a baby, by throwing it into a river. Why? Why would they do something so absurd? There is no light. There is no direction. You don't know what to do. The gospel brings light and it brings direction. In India, a practice that always just baffled me. And I I can't remember exactly when it was finished in practice. And I might be remembering this wrong right now. But I think it wasn't removed. uh, uh, It was made illegal, I should say, in the nation of India, I believe, as late as 1980. And that was that Hindu practice that when the husband died, if the wife was still alive, they would burn her. She's alive with the husband's body. Why? Why do something so absurd? Because with the gospel, it truly does bring light. It brings direction to a culture. I mean, we can look what's taking place in, in countries that are closed to, with, with the Muslim religion and the Islamic culture and the vileness that takes place. There's no light. When there is no light or the light is being dim, a culture can find itself killing unborn babies and not think twice about it. When there is no light or the light is being dimmed, a culture can find itself actually teaching its culture that you get to determine what gender you are. Do you want to know what gives light and direction? The gospel. You see, when the gospel isn't present, that means this. God isn't present. In a practical sense is what I mean by that. Then the people are left to deem for themselves what is right and what is wrong. That will never end well. I'm not going to read through this, but there's a decision. You can look it up in 1892 by the United States Supreme Court. They had made it. Within that decision, what they recognized was the importance of Christian principle as a basis for law of the dangers of allowing simply the, the society without that uh, determined laws, the danger of it. You had, to have, uh, you had to have something behind it. Again, there's nothing else to draw from without the gospel except for that experience of the culture, and that's always going to degenerate. I mean, you can think about it. We, we have the arguments going on right now in our culture. You know, you claim that, that abortion is wrong, and we hear the nonsense arguments of my body, my choice. We're trying to shout, listen, there is only two genders. People are trying to say, you know, just turn to your own heart, you find yourself. No, there's no light and there's no direction. People are confused as to what or right or wrong, but they just come back and say this, well, who are you to tell me? And at that base level, I'm just human like they are. But it changes when God is in the equation. 
You've heard me say it over and over because in any culture where you start with that monotheistic approach where God is present, just even that start of the acknowledgement of a creator, you just can't leave it at that and then forget about everything else, then you're still living as a practical atheist when you do that. Because if there is a God, then there's absolutes. That means the creator determines And rightfully so, not you, what is morally right and what is morally wrong. That brings authority. Hasn't the devil done a good job at at, at putting almost a a rebellious thought in people's mind at the word authority? But that's what God brings. He brings authority with that light that will give direction and order. That's not a bad thing. We need these absolutes. And by the way, absolutes exist and they absolutely are universal. It provides a basis of morality. I want to quote to you from a Harvard Law professor. I like this guy. I don't know anything about him. But he was, what he's going to say here, this book that he wrote, his whole point was basically this. What he recognized, not coming from a Christian, he's saying this. He says, you know what? If we move, remove religion from our culture, we're in a heap of trouble. Not that he cared about religion. What he understood was this. He goes, he understood there would be no basis for morality. And the danger of it. Let me, let me sum it up here. Um, <clears throat> The Western culture has had a massive loss of confidence in law and a massive loss of confidence in religion. He sees that the one of the causes is the radical separation of one from the other. And his conclusion is that you cannot have law or rules for behavior without religion. Because it is religion that provides the absolute base for morality and law. In other words, understand this, it was the Word of God, it was the Christian culture that provided a basis for morality. And you know what happened? The culture thrived. Why? Why did it work? Because it was from the Creator. It wasn't man-made. This is from the Creator. Name any other time in world history apart from Judaism and Christianity where we've seen such order and such thriving. Where there is no gospel, you want to know what happens? It leads to governments like communism, dictatorship. Why? Because disorder will occur. Because you have no absolutes in place. You don't have absolutes in place, and you're headed for a chaotic mess. And you know what, you know what people tend to do? They say, we've got to control this. Dictatorships come in. You, the great, I've, given this up, I've given this reason before, and it's so true. I remember it so vividly. Let's go back to the Iraq War. I remember being in Niagara Falls when the statue of Saddam Hussein came down. Remember those images, what I'm talking about there? They're pulling it down and it comes down. We all, and I did too. I wasn't thinking clearly through this. I thought, just like George Bush did, democracy is going to take over in Iraq. And to have another democracy right in the middle of the Middle East, I mean, the thoughts of it was like, man, this is great. It never happened. You want to know why? They forgot something huge. They were in a culture that was dark. 
no basis. This tribe will fight, and this tribe will fight. You want to know? I'm going to be honest. They would never say this openly like this. You know what they realized really quick in the White House? Why there was a dictatorship. Why they ruled with such iron fists? Because there was no basis of morality. It was absurd. Violence and murder. Another problem is this in any culture. When there is no direction, when the light isn't present, there's another grave danger for any culture in any individual on a personal level. This day will come. There's no purpose. That's why people can believe in evolution. Devil's a, he's, he knows exactly what he's doing. To control minds. You see, because if, if, if you remove God from this, then it's just a random act of the cosmos, which is just so absurd that people believe that. The light isn't present. People have no purpose. All of a sudden, they'll live for whatever it is, their career. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna give it all they have, their strength, their energy, but in the end, what takes place? Read the book of Ecclesiastes. It's vanity. You, you read of these athletes that start when they're seven years old, eight years old, giving all their time, their energy, and, and what they can produce in, their, in whatever sport it is is incredible. But you know what happened? The day comes it ends, and they're like, is that it? So a line gets crossed all of a sudden. It's fascinating. What happens is, and that, that can happen to a culture as well as to individuals, a line gets crossed when you begin to realize I have no real purpose. Despair will set in. You know what happens when despair set in? Your suicide rates skyrocket. It's just meaningless. Just meaningless. There's no light. There's no direction. There's no purpose. The answer is the gospel. Not only is there no direction when there is no gospel, but there's darkness. Genesis chapter 6. Verse number one, and it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wise of all which they chose. Let me just cover this real quick right here. Um, a lot of different teachings on this verse uh, that can get crazy. For instance, there's many that teach angel babies are a result of this union here that angels came down. May I remind you that angels don't have seed? Did you ever, do you remember that? They don't have seed. Even if they did, everything reproduces after its own kind. But they're neither what? That's right. So, we'll talk about what they're talking about here in just a minute. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. 
There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And we're going to talk about that. And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. We see another result here when there is no light present. It happened to the world in the days of Noah. At this time, the earth has been in existence for really a significant amount of time. I know it's only Genesis chapter 6, but we're about 1,500 years into this when this takes place. The world had degenerated. Sin was abounding. Darkness comes in. Because when there is no light, thank you. Because when there is no light, if that falls, that's going to be really entertaining. Let's make sure we got this thing filming right now. We'll see what we can do. This is odd, by the way, preaching like this. I don't like this. We've got to get this back. This is just, I'm staring at nobody right off the bat. And so we've got to fix this right here. And you guys made a really big, really big aisle. Megan's not that big at all. I don't know why they did that. I'm not quite sure. And... You see, when there's no light, darkness comes in. You don't know what you're saying. But at the earth, at this, it's about 1,500 years and it has degenerated. I mean, to the point we have such a powerful statement that it's, it's just incredible. It repented the Lord that he had made men on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. Looking down upon his creation made in his image and what was happening and what was taking place, just the darkness that was there. This is what happens when there is no light. If we're not going to send it, if we're not going to be the missionaries, listen to me. Darkness will take over. The Bible makes it clear. I could have read another seven verses of the gospel being the light, Christ being the light. We are the ones who carry it. It's our responsibility. We get so caught up with everything around us that look what's happening. The answer is the gospel. But we see what's taking place during the time of Noah. What happen, happens in a culture when the light is removed. Number one, we see sexual sins taking place. Just like in our culture. Man driven by pleasure. You have, you have here the, the sons of God seeing the daughters of men. There's an important point that's being made in these verses right now. What's taking place? It's showing us the condition of mankind during this time. And what it's saying is this, even those who knew God, even those who followed Him, when it came to the most important decision in life, who you're going to marry. We have a wedding tomorrow. Apart from, uh, apart from a decision of salvation, that is the most important decision you will make. And He's showing you, you know what they made the decision on? Who's fair? That was all that mattered. Who's pretty? Who's pretty? I, I, I don't care who she is. As long as she's pretty, I'm good. Sad. <clears throat> man driven by pleasure. I mean, decisions for a mate not based on anything related to God, to those who claim they knew God. No wonder the culture was falling to pieces. And we can see what's happening in our culture as churches are just, 
uh, changing, uh, even conforming to the culture, just like they were during the days of Noah. They left God out of the equation. I mean, we can see what even takes place later on with Sodom and Gomorrah. Not even ten righteous in the city. Not even ten. Sexual sins dominating. Homosexuality becoming a norm. Incredible. There is also another problem that marked the culture at the end of verse 4, though. They bear children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. Men of renown. Pride. Men starting to lift up each other instead of God. Humanism coming into play as man begins to start with himself. That's all humanism is. Humanism is trying to approach life. It's trying to approach how you view life, your worldview, your government. in starting with yourself instead of starting with God. In, in world history, going back to 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th century... And, and this would have effects well into the 19th century. You had, in, you had in southern Europe a movement taking place called the Renaissance was taking place in southern Europe. All that was, was for Western culture, was the start of the introduction of humanism into it. In the northern, northern part of Europe, a whole other movement was taking place. In northern Europe, it's fascinating, you have the Renaissance taking place in the southern part of Europe. The northern part of Europe, you have taking place, basically, the Reformation was going on in northern Europe. And so, it's during the Renaissance that you see men of renown. All of a sudden, you see biographies. All of a sudden, in world history, you see portraits of self. The selfie of the day. Hire the artist to come and draw you. Or make some clay molding of your head. And we have that today, a selfie, selfie, look at me. Do you love people that there's a beautiful scenery of Alaska and the only thing else that's in it is their face? Think. But it's just an indication of a mark of a culture that has much darkness. Not only is sexual sins present, but so is pride. I mean, we don't have any trouble with pride in our churches, do we? Again, I brought up, it's, it's hitting my mind right now. Um, debutation. Fall of 2002. I head into one of our Bible colleges. I'm going to be speaking that week, uh, preaching at the end of the week. And so we were there several days early. I head to one of the chapel services and I, I, I had no idea what I was getting ready to see. Again, it made it literally, I was literally nauseous, wanted to throw up. I got my family with me. Daniel at the time is probably, what was he, 10 years old? Daniel was 10, down to Bethany. Levi did not exist yet. Bethany's probably six years old. And I go to the chapel service. I sat in the very back, came in the back door of the chapel, sat back there. The, the college had about, I don't know, 125 students, I would say. And so it's time for chapel to start, and it was out of this side door here. All of a sudden, it's time. This side door opens. They all march out. There's four of them, three of them, four of them. All the leadership. 
And they stood like this with their Bibles on their chest, and the place went ballistic. I mean, shouting, waving their Bibles, and, and I'm getting nauseous because it's worship taking place. It was sickening. I'm like, my goodness, what are we doing? Do you not see anything wrong with this right now? I mean, you can see it on their faces, the adoration that they're receiving and just eating it up. Yet throughout the Word of God, one of the major sins everywhere you turn is pride. But boy, we got into that. Men of renown. Sad. Sad. We also see, as it tells us here in Genesis chapter 6, another mark of a culture with no light where darkness is abounding is wickedness becomes great. The word means abounding, it means increasing. Boy, do we see that right now. Wickedness so great. Why? There's no light. What do you think is going to happen? Man has a wicked, sinful heart. That's, it. That's not changing. Man's never going to correct that himself, ever. He doesn't have the ability. That's not going to change. And you remove God in absolutes, and you think they're going to determine it? It'll fail every time. I assure you, the suicide rates of the transgender movement have nothing to do with the Christians. It has to do with that crossing of the line of despair because of the utter confusion of no light. Jeremiah, it's interesting. If you know who Jeremiah is, and, and the time that, that he administered, and he's referred to as the weeping prophet, knowing what was coming with the Babylonian captivity and him going through all of that. And, and in chapter, Jeremiah chapter 9, he speaks of death. But what's fascinating is, really what he's looking at, and what I think as I'm reading through that, is he's dealing with the death of his culture, of Judaism. The monotheistic approach, his idolatry and wickedness came in. The death of the culture that he knew. Wickedness abounding and increasing as they left monotheism for polytheism and their idolatry. We also see that thoughts and imaginations will become evil continually. Boy, we see that now. I mean, it seems every time you're looking on the news, just the amount of wickedness that you're seeing is it's incredible. There was, there was this clip, I don't know if you saw it, I think it's going viral right now. It's, it, it's just, it almost makes you want to cry when you look at it. It was from Halloween. This mom with her kids goes up to a house. And again, I'm not for Christians to celebrate Halloween by any means. I'm just, I just want to show you how just the imagination is just evil continually. This is a mother with her kids. They come up to a house and the people were home. So what they did was they set outside this huge container of candy. You don't know what they did? They took it all. They took every bit of it. I mean, you're just watching and saying, what is wrong with you? What are you teaching your children? You've got your 8-year-old right there, your 6-year-old right there, and you're stealing every single piece of candy. I mean, such a vileness. Thoughts and imaginations become evil continually. Man becoming obsessed with pleasure, obsessed with self, with no thought of God. God is not in his thoughts. You know what happens? 
man get, begins to create his own God. His own God. We love to do that. We do. We like to create a God that fits our thinking. Well, this is the God that I serve. Listen, you better make sure the God you serve is based in truth, not just what you imagine in your little brain. But when there is no gospel, there is no light, what will happen every single time is there will be no direction and there will be darkness. So we need to consider the cost. The cost if we do nothing. The cost, listen, the answer is not just burying your head and stand waiting for the Lord to return. It might be close. I don't know, but I might have grandchildren still growing up in the next 50 years right here that need to live on this earth. And we have the answer in the gospel. Jake and mate, where's Jake? And Jake, I think the rapture is going to hit about 11 tomorrow, buddy. I'm sorry. The cost is much greater if we don't go and we don't sin than what you're thinking about in relation to your bank account and faith promise. After all, the resources we have belong to God. As I preached the other night, we are stewards. That's what we are. We need to consider what is at stake to get our eyes off of self and our eyes back on God. The key to changing the culture is the gospel. What a terrible price we will pay if we do not succeed. Listen, it's not the next election. Do you understand that? That's not the answer. Listen, I really hope Joe Biden doesn't win. Really. Scary thought if he was to win again. But I know the answer is the gospel. It is. You know, let me try and wrap this up. When I was asked in uh, Tampa, one thing I like they they did with their conference, matter of fact, I might, uh, I think we might get with Tim and introduce something like that here. They did it with their kids. I'd imagine their junior church ran this program, but I'm not sure. But during the missions conference I was preaching, all, all the kids were given a book. And they had a series of questions to go to the missionaries and ask, uh, you know, different questions of them. And even though I was preaching it, they still came up to me and asked the same questions. And so they asked me about my time when I was in New Guinea and not Alaska. And one of the questions they asked was this, what was the greatest thing you liked uh, uh, about being there? And I, and I thought, you know, that's easy. It was seeing the gospel make a difference in their life. Seeing actual lives changed. To, to come in there on those, on those Sunday mornings, see all, remember, they'd all be waiting. Because I was always last. I'd preach at Sohon first. I'd head out to Kudu Kudu. And then see all those people there, I mean, smiling, waiting. And then as they grew in the Lord, I mean, to see things that the culture never saw, 
To see a husband and wife holding hands as they walked. To see when almost the village showed up when I did the masked wedding for marrying everybody. And, and, and to see those Bible principles coming into play of, of, of making vows to each other. And just seeing them find what life was all about. And you know, you say, well, they did that because of you. I got news for you. I've been gone now for eight years. They're still doing it. The gospel does change lives. Take it. Granted, we, we've seen it fail a lot. Want to know why? Because we went through one, two, three, pray a prayer. We claimed people were converted, and conversion never took place. Filling our church with lost people or convincing lost people they're saved. All of a sudden, you got people, teenagers coming up who simply said a few words when they were little and trying to live the Christian life as teenagers. They can't do it. It's miserable and it's horrible. Why? Because they've never been regenerated. There's never been conversion. There's confusion with it. And I don't get it. I don't want it. It's because they've never been converted. But I prayed a prayer. We treated the gospel so lightly. And you know what fed it many times? Not every time. But what fed it many times was pride. Pride. So the Sunday school teacher can have all the kids bow their heads. You know, we had 37 come to know Christ in my class today. Just so they could voice that. Failing to see how we are ignorant of the devil's devices. The answer is the gospel. Listen, if you're saved, you should be proficient at the... It doesn't take much. Take the class. Get, 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 and I'm trying to redo it into a regular book form. But get the booklet I have right now. Learn how to present it. Like I said, if you've been to the class, you, you, you've heard me tell the story. And I'm actually serious with it. It's funny. I practiced on my dog as a teenager over and over and over and over. My German shepherd got saved almost every day. I wanted to hear myself. The whole thing, I remember my whole point of view was this. I wanted to know if I was lost, would I believe this? Would I understand? It's not just saying, okay, I got 310, 323, 58, 623, Romans 10, 9, and 10 memorized. Now, if I can just get them to pray that prayer. No. Give them the gospel with some passion. Be clear. Let them know clearly judgment is coming. Let them know why they need it. And you let that decision be theirs. You don't manipulate them into it at all. That person needs a place for, yes, I want that. I need it. Oh, there's nothing wrong if they're on the fence. I, I mean, heaven and hell, eternity is in the balance of you being as persuasive as you can. Of pleading with them to come to Christ. But you don't manipulate it. The truth is, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And with the gospel comes light. When light comes, you now have direction and you dispel darkness. On Sunday... 
We're going to be making one decision based on what we're going to do as far as the sending goes. Please. Only thing I ask is you seek the Lord what He would have you to do and be obedient. Nothing more, nothing less. But seek Him. Don't have a 30-second conversation sitting in the pew come Sunday morning. Seek the Lord. See what He would have you to do. With heads bowed and eyes closed.